and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is librarian Susan Bailey, who always comes to the podcast with some incredible reading recommendations. I think this is Susan's third, if not fourth, time coming to the podcast. This is what librarians would call reader's advisory, bringing you a batch of recommendations. And today, they are connected by a theme. They are all true stories, histories, biographies, memoirs, tales of individuals' lives, and very inspirational stories, too. We start with The Doctor's Blackwell by Janice P. Namura, and that is subtitled How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. This is a story uh, in the mid-1800s story of the first two women doctors in American history. Very great book there. We go over to a contemporary memoir now, which is Megan Rapinoe, Olympic gold medalist and two-time Women's World Cup champion in soccer, telling her story about how she was not so much trained to be an athlete, but trained to, to be a human being by the positive influence of her parents and just opening her mind to be a compassionate, full human being who was going to speak her mind against injustice if she saw it and standing by those convictions. That book is called One Life by Megan Rapinoe. Uh, so Susan has read The Doctors Blackwell. She's read One Life. She's also read a, another memoir called The Education of an Idealist, a memoir by Samantha Power. Power is a winner of the Pulitzer Prize, but also a journalist and cabinet member. This traces Power's distinctly American journey from immigrant to war correspondent to presidential cabinet official, serving as Barack Obama's human rights advisor, and then in 2013 becoming the youngest ever U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. So those are three amazing stories in our biography section right now, and we'll be talking to Susan Paley, librarian here at the Ferndale Library, books you could pick up this summer. great recommendations you developed the collection of our mystery genre our travel books digital content but you're such an avid reader that you're coming to the podcast today with reader recommendations that are outside of those genres we're talking about memoirs and we're talking about biographies we're talking about personal histories and you've got a great one to start off with which it's a story from the past but it feels kind of topical today can you tell us the title and, and what it's about so i have the Doctors Blackwell, and the full title is The Doctors Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. It's about Elizabeth Blackwell and her sister Emily. They were the first two women ever to become doctors in the United States. Uh-huh. They were super interesting. I really never read anything that was a detailed biography about either one of them, but this one was really interesting in terms of the detail that it goes into and in terms of the way that they researched it when the author wrote it. She, Elizabeth Blackwell, came to the United States when she was little from Bristol, England, and she had seven or eight siblings, and they all came with their dad, and they were going to start a new life in the United States. And she was really always interested in science and really close to her siblings. And her family, they were transcendentalists, mm -hmm. like the Alcotts. Of course. Louise May Alcott. So they were really believed in being kind and doing the right thing and working toward making life better for people that struggled. Mm -hmm. 
So that was part of why she was really interested in medicine in order to help people to sort of figure out how to help people live better lives. Mm -hmm. And as I said, they were really interested in science too. So she was always exploring the woods and looking at flowers and plants and different things that were outside that she wanted to see how they worked or see what the the inner workings of what was going on around her was. Mm -hmm. So she really didn't have experience with anyone saying she couldn't do anything. It just it kind of talks about her childhood a little bit at first and how close that she was with her siblings. And then it gets into she wanted to study medicine, so she just started writing letters to see who would let her in. They were really, they had a lot of strong education in terms of what they learned at home mm -hmm. because she learned with her siblings at home. So she was able to start writing letters and saying, I'd like to be a doctor. Who's going to let me in? Mm -hmm. And she was actually admitted to, at the time it was called Medical College of Geneva in New York. And it, now it's affiliated with, it became Syracuse. Okay. So today it's Syracuse. And some of the, the different documents and photos and letters that were discovered that are part of the book, they were either in the Syracuse Library or in the Library of Harvard or some of the libraries in Europe. It turned out that nobody had ever admitted a woman to medical school, and the dean brought her letter to this giant auditorium with all these men in it because there were only men in the college at that point. We have an applicant that's a woman. Should we let her in? And the guys were all like, what? A woman can't do this. A woman won't make won't make it through all the, how, the, how hard this is. And this is really tough. And we're talking about things that no woman should ever hear about. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll let her in. And maybe she won't. It'll just be entertaining. Maybe she won't make it, but it'll be entertaining for us. And she beat everybody. Yes. She tops in her class. Yes. I mean, they were they were totally surprised. They so medical school in those days it wasn't as long as it is now. Mm -hmm. It was between two or three years. Yeah, it's gonna get three years. Yeah. Right, and so one year was coursework, and then there was another year of coursework with actual materials, and then there was a third year where you had to practice. So all of that would the path would end in somebody becoming a doctor. She did everything that she could so she was going to be the top one. She just thought she couldn't let anybody down because she was a woman and she didn't want anyone to say she couldn't do it. And the, the boys, I guess, were really rowdy. Mm -hmm. They were just raucous. They, you know, they didn't pay attention all the time in class and they, they stole bodies because if they're, they, they didn't have a lot of access to more than one body every so often when they had to do anatomy. And sometimes they would just steal one and take it around town, which is bizarre, but... Outrageous. Yes. And they were just... They, they really had a reputation of being crazy. But then Elizabeth came. They kind of became more aware that there was someone else in their midst that they, they, they didn't want to necessarily just mess around. Right. So she was also credited with sort of reforming these kind of <laughs> raucous early medical students. And... um so she was able to do anatomy lectures with them, and even though some of the professors that were teaching, they would say, you know, you're a woman, so we're going to talk about things that you really shouldn't 
always here. And she said, well, I have to learn this. How am I going to be a doctor if I don't learn this? Mm-hmm. So some of the, the writings that were used as research in the books were writings about how she felt when she was listening to things or how she really had to be tough so that she would learn, but she wouldn't feel like she was missing out. That was really interesting. And then she ended up graduating with top honors. Like I said, she was the first woman, but she was also tops in the class. And then she was able to get different, like an intern, like what an internship or a residency would be today. She worked in New York, and then she worked also in Paris and in London. And in Paris, she worked at this huge hospital that was just for women and just for babies and children. Mm -hmm. It's called La Maternité. And she ended up becoming sick there because this was also in the day where there was no germ theory. So people didn't have an understanding of how pathogens spread. Obviously, today we're focusing on, you know, hand washing and being really clean and careful around other people mm-hmm. while this, the virus is happening here. But back then, they really didn't understand about germ theory or understand about hand washing, how, you know, how sanitation and being clean contribute to disease or not disease. That was really interesting, too, because they did all of this with a big piece of the puzzle missing because they, you know, People would be sick, but they wouldn't really understand why right? because they didn't understand how germs and pathogens were part of why people were sick. A lot of what she learned in medical school, they thought that disease or illness or something that made you unhealthy was just sort of personality related. Like one example was, oh, this guy is always getting in fights at the pub, so he has fevers all the time because he's a hothead. <laughs> right. Like, it's just his personality. She worked with a lot of women that were very poor and didn't have a lot of access to to good care at all. So by the time she became a doctor, she worked in New York, and it was a time when a lot of immigrants were coming from Ireland. Mm-hmm. So she saw all these immigrants that were on coming on a boat and arriving in New York and not feeling well because of the close quarters on the ship and getting sick. And then she said, well, they're sad because they've left where they've come from. So that's what makes them more susceptible to being sick, which isn't true. We know now because it, you know, that has sickness it has to do with pathogens or with different conditions where you have disease that spreads. Sure. So when she was very sick in France, she had an eye infection because no one really had any protective gear when they were around women and children that were sick. So she ended up getting an eye infection and they tried to treat her and they really, the treatments were really crazy. That was really interesting in the story. Like things that we would just never do today because now we know. I mean, mm-hmm. laudanum, they were giving her laudanum, which is opium and alcohol. Oh my gosh. Which is really, really a strong, strong sedative. They were doing things like mustard plasters. They were. They had figured out not to bleed people. Okay. They, they figured out that not to do that. <laughs> that was bad because it would weaken someone. But they were also using arsenic and using mer- mercury. So she had this really terrible eye infection. They were painting her head with mercury. And oh, my God. Just giving her all kinds of medicine that it was just making her worse almost. <laughs> and then she ended up, unfortunately, losing the eye. Mm-hmm. Because it was so infected that she ended up having a glass eye. But after she had that put in, 
in place of the regular eye, she was still able to practice. Mm -hmm. So not only did she learn all these things and work with a lot of women and children and people that were sort of the underbelly of society, she did it all with only one eye. Incredible. So her family was really, really close. They were almost so close that they excluded other people. They really didn't have very many friends outside of being outside of their siblings. And she never married, but she decided when she was in her, it was after the eye injury, so she must have been in her early 30s at that point. So she decided she was going to go to an orphanage in New York City and just adopt a child as a companion. She wasn't married. She she wasn't planning on getting married, mm -hmm. but she just wanted someone to help her around the house. So she just went to the orphanage and adopted a, a child and then took care of her. As the child grew up, the child became became her caregiver and traveled around with her. So when she she was invited to speak in London, she was invited to speak in France about what she had learned as a doctor. And this little girl went everywhere with her and she was like, yes, this is my companion. And, you know, she's with me all the time. And then it turned out that they stayed together for their whole lives. And Elizabeth Blackwell died in Europe and is buried in Scotland. And then the little girl that she adopted, who by the time Elizabeth was much older, she was also much older. She's also buried with her. Aww. So it turned out that she needed a companion and she really didn't feel like that she wanted to be married or uh, attached to anyone other than she just needed a, a friend. So she just went to the orphanage and adopted a little girl. We have to remind folks that we are talking about these instances and where we're painting people's heads with mercury and we're picking up people from the orphanage just to help around the house. This is the 1840s, the 1850s, etc. Different era. Very right. fascinating story, too, because when you think about it, probably up until the 1840s, 1850s, the concept of anything regarding to OBGYN was probably relegated to something like a midwife, and you did not have women in an operating room or anywhere in the hospital. And this is such a great story because the infirmary they start is, it's for women or staffed entirely by women, so that's both. just... Yeah, yeah both. It was, it's revolutionary. It was for women... And then it was staffed entirely by women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it's very interesting because she really wanted to give women the opportunity to be in charge of their own care and in charge of their own lives mm -hmm. and then in charge of other people, which is why all the women that were in this hospital had really high positions. She yeah. hired women as nurses and she hired another few women to work there and... Um, she was not. It was interesting because the book said she was really interested in letting women work and letting women be in charge of their own care, mm -hmm. but she was not a suffragette. And she, like, the idea of women's voting, women, you know, being suffragettes and getting the right to vote and trying to work toward that, that was really, she wasn't sure what to make about that. She was just like, oh, that's good. I'm going to be a doctor. She didn't also equate that with, with women's the suffragette movement but her brother she had three brothers one of her brothers married lucy stone who was a big suffragette so they and they became really close friends with her so it's sort of they were able to 
see some see the women's suffrage movement that way but she wasn't part of it herself she was just interested in in working with women and being a doctor mm-hmm. it was really good and like i said the the research the author used a lot of diaries and letters and material that is in the archive at the place where she went to medical school so mm-hmm. that was neat to read about that and it just the world the world when she was alive they were just really in a really early stage of medicine even for the 1840s and 1850s so it was interesting to read about how she was trained in the United States and then she went to Europe and she learned about what they did and she tried to bring some of that back when she started her hospital and the hospital that she started it it changed hands and then they had a fire and they had to rebuild it and the building where it where it was is now part of New York Presbyterian Hospital. Oh, cool! So it's so the author was sort of able to preserve that. Give you a picture of what it looked like back then, and then where it is today, and what she did. Excellent. Well, Susan, let's hear about another book. This is a biography of a contemporary living person, and it is intriguingly titled "One Life." Uh, who's this? What's the next book? It's Megan Rapinoe's memoir. Famous Megan soccer Rapinoe star. Is the, yep, the U.S. women's soccer player. And it was really interesting, too. And I just saw a soccer match with her yesterday that was on the channel that's showing some previews of what the Olympics will be like mm-hmm. when the Olympics start in July. And she's going to be on the, the women's Olympic soccer team. And her main ideas in the book that she wants to make sure that people know it's what are you going to do with your one life that you have? How are you going to make a difference? How are you going to be active in things that you believe in? How are you going to fight for standing up for things that will improve everyone's lives or things that you can do to make a difference in your own life for someone else? Mm -hmm. And not only did it talk about her childhood and her amazing soccer career because she was playing soccer when she was really small her family would see her and her twin sister and they said they're going to be in the olympics someday they're so good so not only was it about how she became really really good and really well known as a soccer player Mm -hmm. from when she was very small and she played she also played in a lot of junior leagues that were very famous and then she played in college and eventually was chosen for the women's national team and then beyond that the olympics But she also talked about, along with soccer, equal pay is her big thing, trying to get the women more money like the men play. Because when the men play soccer, they they would get a lot more and they would have better choices and more negotiating options than the women. The women, it was just sort of like nobody had, before Megan, nobody had really thought about how do we better advocate for ourselves. And then the other part that's really important, she is very comfortable now being out because she was able to use her status as a soccer player and as a very public figure in speaking out for women's rights and against discrimination of all sorts. So she's very comfortable being out and making sure that the community, the LBGT community is protected. And she really puts a lot of emphasis on making sure that she's able to use her status as a soccer player to encourage people and to really be a face for a lot of people who maybe don't feel like they can speak up or who need a 
someone to look up to so they can try and aspire to be better and to make the community safer and really try to, as the title says, use the one life for what you think is going to be the best thing to like use your own talents to become part of what you want to improve and be better. Yeah, absolutely. She feels like a whole person, like a whole bright shining soul because we have heard and seen a lot of stories of athletes who are quote unquote phenoms who are playing at a young age, playing at four, whether it's basketball or golf or or soccer. And if and if they, because this book also kind of includes something about how her, her parents were a very positive influence on her and driving that home, that it was very important to have these convictions and to be compassionate and to, and to speak up if you need to speak up. And instead of just the scenario where you see parents training their kid to focus on nothing but winning, 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 be the best, da-da-da-da-da, you know? So it seems like she was nurtured into being a full person and she wants to help other people become yes, whole people. Yeah, that's exactly true. And she, one of the things that she talked about was she, she really was really, really good at soccer. And so her parents saw that, but they, they didn't, like you said, they didn't only focus on that. They yeah. told her if she, she, they told her like, you have this gift, but you also have to use your strengths in a different way. Yeah. So, you know, they really were positive. They really wanted to make sure she knew how to stand up if people were being bullied. They really wanted to make sure that she felt safe at home and safe in the world. Yeah. And the other part of that for her family, she has a brother who, when she was growing up, was in and out of prison and rehab for drug Mm -hmm. convictions and different things related to drug abuse and substance abuse. And she really focuses on talking about how how to be aware of, of those issues and how that impacted her too and then how to make it so that those issues get attention in terms of what we can do to support people if they're in that situation or what what people can do if that's something that they have to deal with in their life. So she really covered a lot of social issues and a lot of things that make you think about how you can be better and how one can look around the world and try and help to improve what you see. Yeah. Both great recommendations here in the library, of course, uh, to circulate if you want to check them out. we got time for one more. Do you have another one you want to talk about real quick? I do. There's another memoir that I read, and it's called The Education of an Idealist. It's by Samantha Power, and she was the U.N. ambassador under Obama. And it was really interesting to talk about, to, to read about the U.N. I really didn't know a lot about it, and I really, I like to read nonfiction because even though it's not my section that I ordered the books for, I like to learn something new and be able to talk about it with people. So Samantha Power moved to the United States when she was nine with her mom from Ireland. And then she really wanted to, when she was little, she was really interested in a lot of different things and she really thought she wanted to be a reporter. So she ended up in her 20s, she was a reporter and then she worked for various journalism organizations, and then eventually in Washington became the UN ambassador. Mm -hmm. And so reading about how the UN works with other countries and what we do to support other places as well as here at home, and there was a lot of focus on just cooperating with other people around the world and trying to use her talents that she had learned as a journalist to connect with people and to make sure that 
we're able to like the, we're able to do things to help people get help they need around the world and it was a lot about cooperation and a lot about looking around and seeing how you can help people and also a lot about connecting with people she one of the things that i really liked she wanted to meet every single other ambassador that works with the un and there are there are many many people right and so she just she had her secretary design this like cuz she had a big staff she had her big staff design this plan of how she was going to go and meet every single ambassador <laughs> and she did she met every single one in her in her time as ambassador and learned about where they came from and how they became their ambassador for their country and where they how they studied or what they wanted to do and then she used those that information to help design what she wanted to do and over the over the time that she was ambassador there was a lot of different things that they did and that she was part of and one was a lot of different things culturally but also things like helping with stopping the Ebola epidemic that happened in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and then that was interesting too because reading about what they did for that and how they had to sort of go in and tell people like suggest people like how to help stop that and things they could do and then learning about today what we had to deal with over the past year with the pandemic and sort of see how you need to cooperate so you can understand how to help people and so that was a good yeah. That was a good read. Yeah, I have that number for you by the way in terms of ambassadors who are at the UN it's 190 so it's not too not too easy of a task. But but noble. This is you said she's a journalist. Uh she was involved especially uh being a war correspondent and I can see how being a war correspondent could could lead her into becoming very passionate about human rights because she was probably seeing a lot of you know dark and scary and troubling stuff of, of things happening to to innocent civilians and 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 so uh, as I was reading about this story, it's Obama invites her to join his cabinet specifically because he took note of these critical things that she had said of, of U.S. foreign policy. And I think that was kind of a wise move on his part to to bring in in that Lincoln style of uh, a team of rivals, you know, and, and have someone who could challenge him in that way. And it sounds like a really great story. It was. And it, it read like, it read like, like read very easily. It read almost like a novel. Like a novel, so right? Like, yeah. Because she really wanted to to bring every person reading it, bring the reader into the story and mm-hmm. into the into how she was feeling when she would hear certain things or when she'd have to go and go into a war zone or go in to see something that was really right. scary. And yeah, she was in Bosnia. That's what that's where she had been actually. So going yes. from Dublin to Bosnia to the U.S. and and oh by the way, she starts a family too. So there's a lot to be juggling here. Yes, yeah. She and that too was really part of the book about talking about how women you know yes they can do this even if they have a family they can still be this high level powerful position but they you know she had two kids at home so she still was thinking about her family even as she was jetting off to very far parts of the world to to fix to try and fix things or to try and work with other governments to protect human rights and it was really interesting these three books all together biography in terms of our 19th century history of the first women doctors and then two memoirs here all three of them not just focusing on on women but 
inherently very inspirational, very positive messages across all three um, in terms of the change individuals can make, right? Very, very positive stuff. Yes. Inspiring because everyone really can make a change if they start in a small way. Sometimes it's just the change is just a small one, but sometimes that can lead to much more and much more significant changes and much more significant ways to look at a, how to solve a problem and how to be strong as you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was one of the Blackwells. I was reading a quote, at least one of the Blackwells was as they're starting this infirmary thinking, trying to think 100 years into the future and what, you know, uh, she said a hundred years hence women will not be what they are now. We have to, we just have to start working now, trying to make the change now, starting to maybe kick, kick those first few boulders and start an avalanche. You know what I mean? The small yeah. stuff, the small stuff matters. All right, Susan, great book recommendations as always. We always appreciate you having having great stuff to share here on the podcast and uh, we'll be having you back again soon for more recommendations. Thanks again. Thank you. And that was Susan Bailey, a librarian here at the Ferndale Library, talking about some of the books she's been reading over spring, which are great recommendations for you to pick up now here in the summertime. The Education of an Idealist, The Doctors Blackwell, and One Life. So you have the story of the youngest ever U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and advocate for human rights. You have the stories of the first women doctors here in the United States. And then you have that story of an amazing soccer player, Megan Rapinoe. So thank you again to Susan Paley for joining us on the podcast, which is called A Little Too Quiet. It is the Ferndale Library podcast, and it is brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and the music that you hear coming in and out of this podcast each week is by local musician Chad Stocker. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to ferndalefriends.org. You could follow it, like it, leave a comment, tell a friend. We always like any help that uh, you could give us to find more listeners out there. If you enjoyed this conversation, share it to social media. We always appreciate you listening. So tune in next week for more.